Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to episode six of the Theater People podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. Just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We're now making the podcast available a day early for iTunes subscribers. Also, follow us on Facebook and like us on Instagram and Twitter, where we're putting up really fun content every day. One last thing. As you know, we're a grassroots podcast, so if you like what we're doing, spread the word. Tweet about us, retweet our episodes, share our Facebook page with your friends, or even just tell people where to find us. We'll love you for it, fellow theater people. Now to today's show. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Most people know Michael Urie from his four seasons of playing Mark St. James, caddy assistant to Vanessa Williams on the ABC hit show Ugly Betty. You might be surprised to learn that he's a classically trained graduate of Juilliard's prestigious drama division. His off-Broadway credits include The Temperamentals, Signature Theater's revival of Angels in America, and an acclaimed production of The Cherry Orchard. And last year he made his Broadway debut as Bud Frump in How to Succeed a Business Without Really Trying. He's also a producer and a director, and for the last year or so, he's been at the helm of the wildly successful one-person play, Buyer and Seller, currently running at the Barrow Street Theater. And as you're about to hear, it's a play I had a very positive reaction to. Buyer and Seller is so damn good. Maybe you Thank can just you. tell us a bit about what oh, it's sure. about. Oh, uh, sure. Buyer and Seller is a, 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 a fantasia. By Jonathan Tullins, that is about the guy, the fictional guy, who works in the non-fictional mall in the basement at Barbara Streisand's house. So that it's true that she does have a mall in her basement, uh, and it is not necessarily true that there's a guy who works there. It's certainly not true that this character of Alex worked there, and, and the events that happened in Byron Cellar are true. That's definitely not true. That's all completely made up, and it's a fantasia about what it might be like to work in the street of shops that Barbara Streisand keeps for her things. And you're very clear that it's not a real true story. Correct. Because. It is not, because, because, well, for legal reasons, but also because because it's like, uh, you know, we, we, we want you to, it, I think if it were real, it would be, I mean, who knows what it would be like. If, I mean, you know, it's, it's just not real. And so, like, we take liberties, and, and and I play all the parts. It's me. I play all the parts. I play the guy who works down there. I play her, and uh, a few other parts. And um, um, it's 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 surprising and funny and and, and actually quite sweet. Yeah. Uh, at times. I have like six hundred questions. So I oh. hope you have like ten days to do this. <laughs> well, I have to do the show <laughs> later See, today. Laura Hosta said the same thing. We, <gasps> we convinced her otherwise. She stayed. She stayed. No, she didn't do the show. I'm oh. <laughs> I would be impressed. Um, she was wonderful, wasn't she? Oh, she's uh, she's she's amazing. Both. I mean, Anne and Ali. Both yeah. of the. Ugh, oh well, for God. you, for somebody like you and Laura Osnes and Anna Lee to come and do, and it Ben Rimmelauer, like everyone to come and do our little podcast is like we're so grateful. So oh. Thank you for being. here. Well, you got a good, you got a good thing going on. We're having a really good time. So okay, so I was realizing in putting this together that. <laughs> I was really preoccupied and like kind of worried for you about like the idea of a disaster happening to you in the middle of the show because you're on stage by yourself. Oh, it's oh, 100 oh, minutes. Oh, uh-huh. Not this show, but that show. Yes. But, but no, no, no. <laughs> everything's going to be fine in this show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's that weird elevator to get here, but but, but yes. I was thinking like what I, if something went wrong? I tell me about it. What if something went wrong? I've done it 317 times now. Goodness gracious. So like what if and every and every night at some point I'm like what if tonight's the night? Or something <laughs> It was terribly wrong. One night, someone got sick in the in the audience, and we had to stop. Oh, really? it's the only time we've ever had to stop the show. Somebody got sick, and um, they had to call an ambulance. It was crazy. Are you ever afraid of like forgetting the words? 
I yes, I, I, I and I do forget the words all the time. But my it's like muscle memory is so my muscle memory is so strong that it, it just like picks up. And I, you know, sometimes I'll be like, I have in my head, I'll be saying a line, thinking I have no idea what the next line is, and then it just comes out. It's weird. And then sometimes I'll, I'll go sky high, and I have no idea what the word is or what the next line is. And and there's this weird thing, and I've not, I can't explain it any better than this. And it's never happened before, where I can sort of like DVR rewind <laughs> what's just happened. Wow. Or, or or like it's either it's either, it's either like I'm like boop boop boop, and I go backwards, or I can still sort of. Hear like there's an echo, and I can hear the last line. It's weird. It's weird. It's it, like a piece of me now. It's, do you really have? I read that you had like in books and like stashed throughout the stage. You have like pieces of the script in case you need to. Yeah. Well, at, at the beginning of the play, I actually do read from the book from mm-hmm. from what she wrote in the book. But the, the, and I and I and I used to at the Rattlestick Theater. I had maybe they're still there. Actually, I don't know. But on the upstage uh, side of the pillars, um, left and right. It's a very small space, and on the, on the upstage, left and right, where I where I end up a lot, were the scene headings, because because we've broken the show down oh. into like twenty scenes, and the scene headings were all uh, on the sides, and uh, actually, you mentioned the temperamentals, Thomas J. Ryan, who uh, was the lead of that show, who played Harry Hay in that show, he. When I was doing the show at the Rattlestick, he was there on an off night doing a reading, and he emailed me and he said, "I was I did a reading on your set last night, and I saw your cheat sheet, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't think that's there. I don't think that's up there anymore uh, at the at the Barrow Street. And so you play seven characters in the show. Is that right? Seven. I think so. I think so. I think, I read, I think it's yeah. seven. How yeah. do you? So, like, obviously, you're a Juilliard trained actor. This is probably not a big deal. But like for mere mortals, like everybody else, <laughs> how do you? Is that how do you do it? How do you create seven characters? Well, I was in forensics in high school. Uh, do you know what that is? Forensics, yeah, speech, it's and like debate. debate team, yeah. yeah. So there's debate team, and then there's also like an acting side of it, which they call oral and terp, or where I'm from, they call it oral and terp. And it's uh, humorous interpretation, dramatic interpretation, and duo interpretation. And it's and it's basically you have no props, no sets. You have ten minutes to to present an excerpt from a published work, and you can play all the parts. Um, or you can do a monologue, and that's that. And you wear a suit, and you go to tournaments, and there's six people per room, and you do preliminaries, and then if you do well, you get... So I did that in high school, and so I did, you know, I did like a ten-minute excerpt from Noises Off and played all the characters. So I, I had a sort of vocabulary for how to do characters that talk to each other and make them different, look physically different, and, and where to put their focus... Uh, while they're talking to each other and all that stuff. So I sort of had a vocabulary for that, so that when I first read the play, I thought, oh, I think I know how to tackle this. Because it would be terrifying. I mean, it, it is a terrifying prospect. Like, it's really it's really just like, a, I mean, it's like looking at a whole play and thinking, how do I get all of those part, all of the parts into my head? You know, how do I do, every, you know... So that was sort of where I began. And then I had an amazing director, Stephen Brackett. And it was trial and error. It was a lot of trial and error. I would show, I would try something, and he'd say, I don't get it. Or he'd say, yeah, I think so. And I'd be like, well, what if I do this here? Would this work? And he'd be like, maybe. Or if you do it over here, you know. And it became this sort of... I, and, and, and also what helps is that it was, it's not written like a, a novel. It's written like a play. So like when you look at the script, it looks like a play, which actually made it easier because, because it's a play, the characters have major arcs. And, 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 and so I approached it the same way that I would approach 
any character, only there were six of them. So, like, you know, you know, what do the characters say about themselves? What do the characters say about each other? What does the playwright say about the All those, like, basic questions that you would ask yourself, I could answer very easily, easily in John's play. And one of them was Barbara Streisand. So, like, there's plenty to look at for her. And one of them is James Brolin. There's plenty to look at for him. Right. And then the tricky one, you know, Alex and his boyfriend, Barry, are both, you know, late 20s, early 30s gay men. It was, that was the trickiest, you know, that was probably the most complex uh, uh, relationship because I had scenes between them where I had to, like, you know, delineate between one and the other. So, okay, tell me, I mean, I know you get this question a million times, but how do you... (laughs) I wouldn't have thought (laughs) of it. Those red pants I wear in the play are very tight. (laughs) That's true. Um, But you look good in them. Thank you. Um, What was I going to ask you? Oh, obviously, like, you make it very clear in the beginning that you don't do an impression of Barbara. Right. So how do you, how did you decide... How you were going to do her. Well, um, that, that's like a gift that the playwright gives me, that I don't have to do an impression, which is wonderful. And, and, and it's true. I say, you know, like, plenty of people do her, so you don't need me to do her. Right. And also, people have an idea of her in their mind, if they know who she is. If you even know her a little bit, you have an idea of her in your mind. She's one of those kind of iconic people that, that even if you only know someone's impression of her, you have an idea of her in your mind. For sure. So it immediately incites the audience to use their imagination and fill in everything that I don't do. And I don't do, because I don't do a full, you know, I don't put on a nose or, or shoulder pads or like a wig or nails or anything like that. I'm just sort of like interpreting her. Well, and also I think people don't know what she sounds like when she's talking. I mean, I guess, unless you're like really obsessed with her movies and stuff, which I feel like right. we're kind of at that age where either like you do or you, like you don't, you're not, it's not a given that you're a barber queen if you're my age or maybe your age. Right. You know? So right. you're, you do like a, like a, like a Long Islandy, you know, like New Yorky broad. Brooklyn. She's well. She, yeah, Brooklyn? she's from Brooklyn. See, she, I told you, I wasn't a barber queen. There's yeah. a, a lot of gays out there rolling their eyes at this. Right she's now. she. Well, she's from Brooklyn, and and uh, and 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 you know, like she. I definitely do more of a dialect than we hear her. Um, use, but but I feel like if you look at her work, and that's really what I looked at the most was her acting. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I, I I listened to music and and her concert recordings, and all, I watched a lot of interviews with her. But like who she is in in between songs in a concert, and who she for the most part, and who she is in an interview, isn't exactly the playful, sort of um, quirky character that John wrote in the play. And and it, uh, you know, in, in on purpose, he wanted to write a, um, sort of this is the this is an idea of what Barbara might be like in this situation, as opposed to what Barbara's like when she's promoting a film or what Barbara's like when she's setting up a song. Those didn't right. end up helping. Those didn't end up being very, very helpful. But but when she's playing Ben Stiller's mom <laughs> in Meet the Fockers, and she's a, a yoga sex therapist. It's there's a lot of fun to be had from her. I was in there. gonna say so, like uh, whenever I, I read you or like watch you talk about Barbara Streisand, it always comes back to Meet, Meet the, the Fockers, which is the pinnacle about, of her. It, I mean, it's, well, when you, it's so funny when you think about like work. when you think about Barbara Streisand, you think funny girl or, or, exactly. or you know like the way we were, but like truly like the version of Barbara that I'm playing is most like Roz Fokker. <laughs> <laughs> and she's very funny in that movie. That's a it's Hilarious. a funny movie, and yeah. Ben Stiller's really funny. And doesn't have the three of them are so funny together. They're such a such a funny family, 
and she's really good, and she's sexy and maternal, and all the things that I need for this play. So it ended up being the most helpful. And like weirdly human, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you never oh, think sure. Of Streisand as like a human being. Right, 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 right. She's well, and and I think I think she's a really good actor. And I remember, you know, I I, I spent a lot of time watching Funny Girl and Alan the Pussycat and What's Up Doc, and she's great in those movies, and they're really funny performances. And those, and I feel like that person, whoever that is, that that, that sort of artist plus time is Roz Fokker. Like she, she, <laughs> right. she took, she, she was she did a lot of serious things between those movies and now, and and I think it's just the grown up version of. Were you like a big Barbara Streisand fan, or did you have to learn a lot about her? And I had like to learn a lot about her. I, I I was a fan in that I and my mom my mom was a big fan, and, and I and I we shared that a little bit when I was a kid and I was a teenager. And I was figuring uh, figuring out you know what what showbiz was and what you know great singers were and musical theater you know and we would watch a con this particular concert of her. So I knew that concert really really well and some of the movies. Um, but I, I didn't know everything. I didn't know. I got a lot of the references in the play, but I had to be taught some of them too. Okay. What else? Um, what was I going to ask you? What else? Let me look. Let me look at this. Um, oh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess I had read that you, obviously Barbara's never, I don't know why I said obviously, but Barbara's never come to see the show. That's the number one. That's what I thought you were going to ask. That's the, you know that's the number one question, that question I Because I know everyone asks you that question yeah. and everyone asks you, like, what would you say to her and whatever. What would you do? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and the, the answer is I'd poop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and I hope that she, I hope, I'd hope that she didn't, I wouldn't want her to have to sit amongst the muggles and yeah. watch the play. Well, it's funny. <laughs> I just like, don't think it would be, it would be so weird to have to watch a play about you and, and have people laughing and being like, what are they laughing at? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't think that would be fair. You know, like if she's going to, I want her to see it, but like not, 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 I don't know. She doesn't, she deserves to like be, have it presented to her. And if she could get past, if she could get past the, uh, the, 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 the setup, she might really enjoy it. And there's, she probably, there's certain things that, I, that she would enjoy, for sure, for sure. But yeah. there's certain things that might be like, why would you do that? Or why, why, why? <laughs> Nobody works down there. You know, like, like little How things. How did they find out about Alex? Who works down yeah, there? Yeah, right, right, right. Well, some people have said, all right, all right, all right. Who did this happen to? And I'm like, it didn't really happen. They're like, sure, it didn't happen. Yeah. He's, uh, John Tollins is a great writer. And I, gotta, well, I want to give a shout out to The Last Sunday in June, which is a, one of the first yeah. plays I ever saw in New York. And it was, it's uh, a great play. Great play. Also started at the Rattlestick. Oh, really? That's right. Yeah, he's an incredible writer. He and I worked together on Partners, this show I was on CBS. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's correct. You guys, you got that one right. I got that one right. The quiz started. Oh, God. Um, he and, and uh, we knew each other before because I'd done some readings of another play of his, and, and I was just a fan of his. From forensics, from speech and debate, I, used to, I did scenes from his play Twilight of the Golds, which was on Broadway, which was the play that was being done when Barbara Streisand, uh, that, that Barbara Streisand saw and offered him a piece of her Kit Kat bar. Oh, so that really happened. Two. That is true. Oh, wow. That's, which is in the play. Yes. There's a scene in the, well, you'll see. You'll all see when you come <laughs> check it out at the Barrow Street Theater through March 16th with me and the little it's funny because he definitely has a sense of humor about himself as a writer. Yes. There's that whole... whole and he's written a character who's got a sense of humor about himself. Exactly. And it's all about how, like, nobody cares about the writer. Like, don't don't even bother remembering his name. It doesn't matter. He's right. just the writer. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. And he wrote that, of course. You know, like, and, and yeah, it's... it's there's a, there's a wonderful self-deprecation self deprecation to his writing and to the, the, the narrator character. For sure. What, my last question about it is, what do you, like... 
Uh, other than it being a good play and you being really good in it, what do you think it is that is resonating? Go on. <laughs> and handsome and thin. Um, what do you think it is that's resonating with people that's making it run on and on and on and on and on? I don't know. That's a really good question. And and I, 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 I don't really know the answer to that. I think part of it is... Part of it is that people love Barbara, but but I know I know that I am not playing to Barbara crowds anymore. There was a period where you know, especially at the very beginning, Barbara people really knew about it and heard about it, and they were coming in droves. Barbara fans, and there are always there are still Barbara fans that are coming, but it's 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 more word of mouth. It really has become a word of mouth show, which is really interesting. And I think it's I think part of it is that it's very funny and it's and it's sweet and it's like about something that we all share which is like stuff like money and stuff it's like really at the end of the day it's about like things and you know uh, she keeps all these things in a ma- in, in a mall in a basement and 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 he tends to them and it ultimately like is about you know it's about what it's about what what things whether or not things matter to us and and we have a lot of uh I think a lot of people leave thinking about that and thinking about her and, and you know, just materialism. We should talk about Ugly Betty for a minute. Let's do it. Um, because I was telling my husband this morning that there's a really, like, you were originally only supposed to be in the pilot. Correct. And what a, and, and that sneaky Vanessa Williams taught you some tricks. Yeah, she did. She, well, she, she, uh, I was only, I was a co-star and, and in, in TV casting, there's series regulars who are, you know, they're the the Cloris Leachmans, <laughs> the, the, the throw their name around. You know, like the you know the big important people. And then there's the guest stars, which are the you know the killer, or the victim. And then there's the co-star, which is like the doorman or the waiter. <laughs> so the so Mark St. James. Well, Mark was only known as Mark at that time, but in the pilot of Ugly Betty, Mark was a co-star. And I had a few I had a few scenes, and, and, and like it probably would have been a guest star, but like sometimes pilots they have to you know they have to, they have to like you know they have to re you know reallocate things based on whatever um somebody you know another part that probably should have been a co-star probably had to be a guest star because of who they got blah 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 they were getting this me this this nobody so they were like well he'll be a co-star he's just glad to have the job or something like that and they had this idea this idea that every episode she'd have a new assistant that was like a gag so you know but immediately Vanessa Williams and I got along I mean, we, when I sat down in the in the makeup trailer. Well, first of all, I was cast before she was, I think. And she, they had to get your approval to get Vanessa Williams. Yeah, I was, yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I said, I, I guess. Yeah. I said, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. Um, and uh, but the night before my, I was to shoot the uh, the second AD called me and he was like, just you know, this is your call time. This is where you need to report. And you're gonna, you're, 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 your scene is going to be with Wilhelmina, which is uh, being uh, the role being played by Vanessa Williams. <laughs> and it was he suddenly turned into a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> on the phone, I was like, "Oh, what? Really? But that's a Williams? Okay." <laughs> and so I got into the makeup. I was sitting in the makeup trailer, and she leaned back and looked over and goes, "You're Mark." And I was like, "Yes, hello, hi." And and, it, and like we started chatting immediately, talking about theater and 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 New York. And we were shooting in New York, and and uh, we hit it off right away. And she thought it was funny. She thought it was funny, and she liked what I was doing. I had this idea that that this guy who was a sycophant would just like sort of pretend to like would sort of mimic her her physicality 
behind her, and she caught wind of it. She saw me doing it, or someone told her I was doing it. And she was like, "That's funny." Stand close. She, she also sounds like Barbara Streisand. She was like, "That's funny." No, <laughs> she was like, "That's funny. Come stand closer to me, and you'll be in the shot." And I was like, what? What do you mean? The camera's not on me right now. (laughs) And she's like, no, but if you stand right here, it will be on you. And then she would say things like, what can I do that you can, what else can I do that you can mimic? And I was like, well, you know, when he says that intense line, you could stand up and I could stand up with, you know, at the same time. You guys are directing. The director can go home. He's released for the day. Well, and he was, the director was awesome and and he liked it too, you know, and he, so he came up with, so it just became, and then by the end of the shoot, they put me in the photo, the cast photo. And, and then it was, and, and, and actually then like right after I was done, I packed up my bags and went to San Diego to do a five month Shakespeare rep. Which I was thrilled about, <laughs> you know, yeah, awesome job doing three different, you know, I had, I was, uh, it was such an amazing job. And a month into that, I didn't even think, you know, I was like, well, I'd done a pilot before. It didn't get picked up. I was like, this is a stupid show about an ugly girl. I'm not going to get picked <laughs> up. I'm a co-star. Even if it does, you know, who knows what will happen. So I go, and I'm not even, really, truly not even thinking about it because I'm so happy as a clam doing Shakespeare on the beach. And then my friend who was friends with America Ferreira's then boyfriend, now husband, came to visit me in San Diego. And he's like, oh, by the way, congratulations on the show. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, America told me that the show got picked up and you're going to be a series regular on it. That's how you found out? And that's how I found out. Well, okay, so you come back to New York after Ugly Betty's done. Or no, you guys were in New York at that point, right? You guys They were... moved the whole show here, yeah. yeah. So two years in L.A. and then they moved the whole show here. I want to get to some of your highlights of your New York Theater. Ah, the theater Resume. people part of theater Exa- people. Exactly. We're going to change okay. the podcast to Ugly Betty Podcast. <laughs> Ugly Betty people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fine, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, so I want to really want to talk about the temperamentals. Okay. Which was, I mean, I, I, I've said on the podcast before, I'm kind of a student, like an amateur student of gay history, so I mm. know a lot about the Manichaean Society uh. and... Very I mean, cool. completely, like, when when I heard that you guys were doing the play, like, over the moon about it. So I mm. wanted to read, there's a book I have uh, called Sexual Politics and Sexual Communities by uh, John D'Amelio. I'm hoping I'm saying his name right. But I just wanted to read this so maybe people can get an idea okay. of what we're talking about. So the Harry Hayes mission for the Mattachine Society, this is in, like, 1950, right? Um, yeah, I think 19, yeah, 1950 or 1951. Yeah. Yeah. Was uh, the, hero- the heroic objective of liberating one of our largest minorities from social persecution. And then it goes on to say, whether viewed from the vantage point of religion, law, or science, homosexuality appeared not as a mark of minority group status, but as an individual problem, as evidence of moral weakness, criminality, criminality, or pathology. And I guess the point is, what what it's my understanding that what what is so revolutionary about Harry Hay and the Mattachine Society is that Harry Hay was the first person to recognize homosexuals as a group rather than individuals with a sickness or a problem. That's right. right. That's right. He yeah. was the first to politicize it, to, to make it more, to make it less um, about uh, the, the uh, emotional and physical of it and, and more about the, uh, the, the rights of it. And the idea that if we come together, we can be a community rather than people Correct. living in the shadows, like a marginalized. Yeah, yeah. He was the first to, ra- to, to, to uh, uh, organize. Can you talk a little bit about how terrifying it was to be gay in the 1950s well i i wasn't there <laughs> i was <seven>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but uh yeah you know it was you know uh, i mean it was 
it was illegal. It was highly illegal, and I mean, you know, it was it was um, it was all in the shadows, and um, and and there was no community, and there were there was no there were no rights of any kind, and uh, you could get arrested for for for, for um, congregating. And entrapment was a really big thing. Where and cops entrapment, would, like, was, which is in the play, exactly, yeah. where cops would go into the restrooms and like try right. to trick you into hitting on them, and then they and I think the idea it's like what kind of free time did they have? Oh, I know. It's like why is that is really that's, but they people thought that that was hurting people, and mm-hmm. and, and so. Uh, it was a it was a very scary thing, and and so in the play, and, and um, Harry and his his uh, uh, his followers or his you know his uh, collaborators, they they made huge strides, and they fought. Uh, in, in particular, one person who was entrapped, um, this guy called Dale Jennings, who was entrapped. They fought it, and they went to court, and he won. Mm-hmm. Kind of over, I mean, you know, kind of over a technicality, but he won, and and and, and he and and. And got and 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 uh, uh, it was the first step. I mean, of course, obviously, Stonewall wasn't for another eighteen years mm-hmm. by that point. So, like, and you know, even still, yeah. we're, we're we're still fighting it, fighting uh, equality and, and rights. But but that was the beginning. Yeah, and it was so you know it was the group that they were they they created the Mattachine Society, and then you know there were like different chapters in different cities, and the Mattachine Society in New York was a I guess an, an, uh, an a major first. Here as well it was like the first yeah. real, you know, whatever first real like gay rights organization in the city. Um, can you talk a little bit about the experience of, of doing the play? Like, I, you mm-hmm. know, I wonder about like what were people's reactions? Were they? Because I mean, it's a story that people don't really know. Yeah, yeah, it's a story that people don't know. I didn't know it, and 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 and, and then a story that that the people who did know were really eager to uh, see and to have shared. And um, and so we we got a lot of people that we got a, a, a lot of uh, older the older generation coming to see the show and it being very moving to them to see you know scenes play out where you know these like this hidden love forbidden love and and um, and then uh, for new for young people for the young people who didn't know it they learned it was a, it was like a really wonderful learning experience and it was such a beautiful play John Marins who wrote it wrote such a beautiful. Um, story and a, it's a beautiful love story and um, such a well-written mystery too, or not mystery but thriller. It's like kind of a thriller um, because these, these these guys, these these original these original members, they sacrifice so much to do, to do you know to to, to be these uh, uh, heroes. Can you talk about your character? I played Rudy Gernreich, who was sort of the second guy in uh, uh, that, that 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 Harry. The, well, the first guy that Harry Harry brought in. Harry was the one who sort of started. Harry Hay was sort of the one who started it, and, and Rudy was uh, considerably younger than Harry. He was, and he was uh, Austrian. Um, an Austrian immigrant who escaped uh, uh, um, World War, you know, escaped the Nazis, and uh, was now in um, costume design in movies in in Hollywood, doing um, you know, working with uh, Edith Head and and uh, uh, Irene Sheriff on on these big huge movies like these big huge Vincent Minnelli movies and stuff. And his own movies too, and um, and and they met. Uh, Harry lived in, in L.A. and uh, was a music teacher and um, also a communist. And they met. I forget how they met actually, but they met and and fell in love and started this organization together. And then eventually, Rudy realized that, uh, ironically, in order to get ahead in fashion, he couldn't be gay. 
And so he had to take himself out of the organization for the for the good of the organization, partially. I mean, on, uh, well, no, that's not true. For, for his own good, he, not for the good of the organization, because his his name could have helped the could have helped the organization, but it also could have sunk the organization ultimately. Like having that kind of. You know, that because kind he of was fame. well known. He I became mean, famous. Yes, I, I, I skipped that part. He became famous for fashion, uh, for 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 building amazing pieces of. of uh, yeah. He he created this thing called the topless bathing suit. So cool. We're gonna really, have. We'll link to some like images yeah. on the website because they're beautiful. There's some amazing. He yeah. he was really he was really amazing, but um, but he couldn't. You know, he couldn't be out. And he was on the cover of Time Magazine, I think, in yeah, 1967. Yeah. So he was really a yeah. famous person. Yeah, he was a really famous... And he was in... He was on Batman, the old Batman show. Oh, really? He was like a villain on Batman. I don't know if he was a villain. I can't remember if he was a villain or just like somebody that... Catwoman went got a got something designed by him or something like that. He was like a part of part of you know pop well, culture for a little while. I'm wondering because that same book that I just mentioned that I read that quote from, I read that you know the, that book came out in 1983. I read it probably 10 years ago for the first time. And when you re- if you go through that book, um, his his name isn't used. It's R. Period. Oh yeah, right, right. So I don't. Do you know like when how he was able to. Keep his name out of the telling. I mean, people must. Harry, have it was out of loyalty. Uh, I think people were loyal to him. And when did that know. change? When did they decide to include his name? I think after his death. I don't think until his death, because wow. Harry outlived him, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Harry died kind of recently. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Harry outlived him, and he didn't. He didn't. He didn't tell any. You know, he kept it, kept it secret until Rudy's death. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's such a good story. It's such it a, good a good play. Story. Yeah. It, and it didn't it didn't run very long off Broadway, is that right? At the New no, stages? Uh we didn't run very long at New World, but we ran at the Barrow Group Theater forever for a long time before we moved to New World. And then we played at New World for two or three months. God, it was such a good play. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was it was pretty special. It was a pretty good experience. Well we must also talk about angels, if you don't mind. I, I, uh, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> um, Angels in America, the the Signature Theater revival, yeah. 2010, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't even know where to start. I mean, if you could maybe talk a little bit about your journey with the play. Well, I, I first read the play when I was in high school. My sister, my older sister, uh, took me to the uh, gay neighborhood in Dallas and to a bookstore. My, my older sister's a lesbian. And she took me to a gay bookstore when I was like 15 or 16. And I had heard of Angels in America because of speech tournaments. <laughs> and I saw it in this gay bookstore. Of course, I didn't know at the time that I could have also picked it up at any Barnes & Noble. But because uh, it was the, you know, the most uh, famous play of you know, the 90s, at least. Yeah. And, um, and so I picked it up and I, and I read it and I got it really. And I did it. I would do it for speech tournaments. And I would do scenes, and, I, and then when I was a Juliet, I did scenes from it, and I played every character, but um, every character but Prior, oh. which is when the revival happened. That was the part that they asked me to audition for, and, and in a way, I mean, it makes it makes sense. I mean, it, it, it is um, it is the most right character. For, I, I mean, I am I am closest to that character. Ultimately, but I started as Roy Cohn, and then I would, and then I, and then I did a monologue of Joe Pitt, and then in school at Juilliard, I always wanted to play Lewis. So, but then playing Pryor and actually getting to to do that and play Pryor, what, I realize now that's the part I should have played all along, and that's the part that I was I was you know suppo- that's the one that I was really supposed to do, and it was 
a, a truly, you know, it was a it was a truly special experience. What do you what do you bring? I don't, I don't even know the right way to ask this question, but this is a, a play that was very meaningful for you, right? Mm-hmm. Very meaningful for the world, very meaningful yeah. for theater, very you know, and and to be involved in the first real revival of it in New York since it was on Broadway, yeah. you know, in the nineties. How do you? I mean, did you feel an extra amount of responsibility? You know, going sure. into it. Sure. Every uh, yeah. I mean, sure. Because it was because we knew that like mo- a lot of the people who were coming to see it were seeing were experiencing it for the first time. When I went to see it, because I, I was a replacement, I wasn't in the original cast. When I went to see it, it was special. Was special for me, not just because I knew I was gonna, I was I was asked to be in it. Because I didn't see it. I, I auditioned. I auditioned for it initially, but then I didn't see it until they asked me to to come in and do it. I would have seen it eventually. I just hadn't yet. I was away. I think I was away the whole time, so I, I couldn't have seen it. Um, and then they asked me if I would replace Christian Borel, and I said, well, yeah, absolutely, and I'll go see it now, of course. Right. <laughs> and that was special for me, not, not because I knew I was going into it, but because it was my first time seeing the whole thing, except for the movie, which was very good. But seeing it all on stage like that was very special. And so we knew when we were doing it, a lot of people are seeing this for the first time, and that is a very important that's very important. And if they're not seeing it for the first time and they saw it when it was on Broadway, it's still very important because this is a very it was a very different kind of production. That was a big, huge that was a big, huge Broadway spectacle. And this was like an intimate um, two hundred seat uh, I think two or three hundred seat, I can't remember how many seats, um, off Broadway experience. Um, so you know, in your face, up close and personal. Um, real. It felt real. It felt very real. And also, I was thirty when I did it, and Pryor is thirty, and um, it was very. You know, uh, it was. It was. It was. Uh, obviously, I did not live through the the uh, the worst part of the AIDS epidemic. I was too young. But to put myself in my, the age I at the age I was in the shoes of somebody who was going through the heart of it was an. It was, you know, terrifying and um, and very moving. And to play that character, you know. Do you have any thought? I think about this a lot. About <clears throat> there's not been a lot of art that has come out of that time that has really survived as like a record of mm. the time. There certainly was a lot of plays and books written, but nothing. Not a lot. I mean, I think of Angels in America. Um, yeah, you know. Well, there's a, there's a few other yeah good. Larry, you know, good Larry players. Kramer, of course, and, right? And 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 the band played on. Yeah. Um, why am I forgetting the name of the Larry Kramer play? Normal Heart. Thank you. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but that's a. I mean, I can't think of much else. And I just wonder, does that ever, does that strike you as odd that there isn't? I mean, it well, just seems like what a that wasn't a short period of time that it was really at its. So many people died. I, I mean, mean, you know, like you know, David Mixner, the the great activist, he always says. You know, we lost a generation of storytellers. Oh, I know. I've heard Harvey Firestein once wrote an op-ed about that too. And it's so true. I mean, there there are few people left that 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 were like in it because so many died. So many didn't 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 make it make it through. I mean, a few. There's a lot. There's a lot. But yeah. like, you know, there's a lot. But um, I think that might be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, you know, it was, and and still, there's no way we can possibly know what it was really like. I know. Without having gone through it. And, and I think, I feel like so many people who did go through it, in a way, you know, they'll, they, they don't, they, they, they don't necessarily want to immerse themselves in what it was again. 
Did you get to work much with Tony Kushner? Um, not, no, not really. Not, uh, but uh, but he did come. You know, he came to see it, and 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 we we were able to talk a few times. But he wasn't a big part of of putting us in because uh, I was in the replacement cast. Mm-hmm. But Michael Greif was there a lot, and uh, uh, and um, it was a very special thing. Well, let's end on a happy note. Let's talk about um, you making your Broadway debut. And how to succeed. Yes. How was that? Why did you decide uh, to make that your Broadway debut? Well, I wanted that job. I fought for that job. I sought that job. I weaseled my way into that job. Really? Yeah, I wanted that part really badly from the very beginning. And it's a long story of why... why uh, um, I mean, I tried to get it from the... I mean, I, it's a, it, a, but it, it was a... a I, I I weaseled my way into that. I'll, I'll just what put are you that not way. saying, Michael? Yuri? Well, what are you not I, saying? years earlier, I had met Craig Zayden and Neil Marin at an event that I was hosting, and they were being honored. And I and I knew that they were, you know, they'd made. I knew their work, and so I said, you know, at that time they had they they had really made a name for themselves for making TV musicals. But it's before Sound of Music, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they were, you know, they made this. They put the Cinderella on TV. They put Gypsy on TV, and they had just made Hairspray. For you know, for right. for for, uh, um, for the movies, <laughs> and I said, "What about How to Succeed? You should make a movie of How to Succeed." And I'm not saying I gave them the idea to revive it on Broadway, <laughs> but when I was a kid, I saw Ralph Macchio tour through Dallas in that show, and Roger Bart played Bud Frump, and they were both. Wow! Terrific, and I loved the show. I fell in love with the show, and I said, "I got to do it because I love musicals." But I can't, you know, I'm, I don't have a pop voice. I don't have a rich Rodgers and Hammerstein voice, but I can, you know, I can get through a song. I can like sing a song, but it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna be in Les Mis or Phantom or Carousel, um, at least not in, you know. But I could sing those. I was like, I can do this. I could do this. I could do that. And I tried to get my high school to do it. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I really liked that I show. Like so, with this one. so then when I heard that they were going to do it, I heard rumblings they were going to do it with Daniel Radcliffe. I was like, perfect. I want to be Bud Frump. And I weaseled my way and I did the workshop. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did the, I did the initial workshop. And, um, and then through a series of, of beep, <laughs> I did not play the I part. I can't believe that happened. <laughs> How many people died? <laughs> All of them. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. It was rough. It was rough. I'm um, glad you had a good lawyer. <laughs> but I, so, but then it, it couldn't have worked out better because uh, I, 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 uh, the period of time when I would have been doing that if I'd been in it from the beginning, I got to do a lot of cool things that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And then I got to do it anyway. And it was the greatest experience. It was truly the happiest I've ever been. Oh, and so cool. it was a, a, a wonderful production of a perfect show with the loveliest group of people. And at a great theater, I might add. The a Hirschfeld great is so theater. Great. great theater with a great vibe and fantastic music with a wonderful new sound. David Chase, the musical director, gave it this wonderful new, like new orchestrations. It just had a, it was just a, a good place to be every day, and the music was just, you know, I was in it when I joined the show. People had been in it for like nine, ten months. They were still humming the tunes backstage. It was just a great, it was just a great experience, and I got to play the funniest part in a musical mm-hmm. ever. Bud Frump is the funny. I mean, it is like the funniest character part in any musical that I can think of. Such a good role, and I had a complete field day with it. What, so, 
once they pry this part and buyer and seller out of your cold, dead hands, what is next for you? <laughs> well, I'm taking it on the road, and uh, and and I'm hoping to do. You know, I have I'm taking it on the road. I have a little break between now and then. Where I, I honestly, it's like so hard for me to think about much else. I have a few irons and a few fires, and I, I have this six-week break before I go on tour. And then, and then when it, the tour's over, I really want to do something different and, and try something new. And and um, you know, maybe do. Uh, I directed a film a couple of years ago. Oh, of course. And I would really like to direct another film. So the I've film got is a, called "He's Way More Famous Than That's You." That's right. Yeah. Yes. Haley Pfeiffer. Haley Pfeiffer and Ryan Spawn, my partner, co-wrote it and they co-star in it. And Ralph Macchio's in it. No! Yes, I know. If you want to talk about a full circle moment. Wow. Um, but I really want to direct another film. Um, I'd really like to do something else on stage. I'd love to do a TV show. So like, I just, I'd like, you know, like I'm loving this buyer and seller wave. Um, I don't have anything. I have like the irons and fires right mm-hmm. now. Nothing, nothing set yet. But I'm looking forward to doing something different. This has been a really, you know, like long term jobs for actors are really rare. And it, this has been, a, and I've ha, and I've been really lucky to have several of them, and um, and I, I have, you know, this is this is uh, except for Ugly Betty, obviously, this is the longest job I've ever had, and it's um, it's good, I think, to let jobs, you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a, actors' natures are not to sit down in something for a long time; it's to keep moving, you know. Onward and upward, and 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 I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. I think if you got something that works, you should really play it out. And 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 the, the, there are you know fallbacks or drawbacks, I should say, to playing it out. You know, you get crazy, you go you go mad, you forget your lines, and, <laughs> and you you decide you hate yourself and you hate the audience or whatever. You go through these phases with any long term job, but like. It's worth it because there are things that happen that can only happen when you're doing something for a long period of time, and, and that's it's so that's been really exciting. So, so while I am looking forward to wrapping up my time um, at the Barrow Street Theater, I'm happy I get to continue doing it on the road and beyond, and 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 I, I, I count myself very lucky to have had this job. Hey, fellow theater people, we wanted to let you know that Episode 5 guest, Tony Award winner Daisy Egan, is currently putting together a national tour of her one-woman show, One for My Baby. Right now, she has dates planned for Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York. You can help make this tour possible by contributing to her Indiegogo campaign, where she's trying to raise $10,000 to cover creative costs, advertising, travel, and everything else that goes into putting something like this together. If you've ever seen Daisy perform or ever listened to one of her CDs, you can imagine what a worthy cause this is. You can find all the details at Daisy's website, www.daisyegan.com. Today's episode was produced by me and Vanya Arslanian. Special thanks, as always, to BroadwaySpotted.com and Davenport Theatrical, Steve Tipton, Bradley Bean, the staff at Oswald, and Ellen Marsh. Find all of our episodes at our website, www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L.com. And keep coming back, theater people. Let's get the theater community talking. I keep saying the only Barbara Streisand I knew growing up was uh, her insane Jingle Bells. Like, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. What fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. What fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. We're dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. All the fields we go, laughing all the way.